Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning for one more minute. So I thought we might have crested over into the good afternoon. Man, it's good to be here. Just got back from Mexico on Monday. Spent last weekend in Mexico, so I thought we'd catch you up. We are so proud of our church in Mexico. Um, some of you may not even know that. We, we're proud to be involved in the nations. How many believe that the kingdom of God is not just in this building? It's not in a church building. The kingdom of God is God's people all over the earth. That's the church. The bride is his church, and it doesn't have walls. It's people. So, so we have a church in uh, Mexico, St. Lucia, Costa Rica. We have a ministry in Charleston, South Carolina. And then we have all these amazing things going on in Dayton and everywhere else. So we're, we're thankful that we um, do regionally, we do nationally, and we do internationally. So um, just so proud of our church in Mexico. Steve, Josh, and I went, and we brought um, Jason with us. He attends the 9 a.m., and he's starting up a video company. We're like, I'm like, come on, come with me. We'll hang out. Uh, he's one of our CrossFit coaches, and I was like, plus, we can, we can, you can teach me double-unders while we're in Mexico. So didn't happen, but we did do a workout. We found a cool CrossFit gym. But anyway... They are doing such amazing things, and I've been going there uh, for about 10 years. Um, I got to come back and give Maudie a hug from his mommy. I was like, your mommy want me to give you a huggy. So the drummer today, uh, it's a cool story. He and Autumn met on a missions trip to Mexico, so he's from our church there, and uh, now he's, he's with us here in this location. So we're just super glad. But Anyway, I've been, I think it's been a, close to 10 years. This was around my 12th trip there, and um, it was honestly the most amazing one yet. And to see the fruit, to see what's going on, the pastor moved a couple years ago, and he kept his old house in a neighborhood uh, that would be middle income in Mexico, would probably be considered low income here. And uh, they turned it into a kids club. And what they're doing there, they're reaching 100 kids uh, about every week. It's 50 kids one week, 50 the next, but every other week they're reaching 100 kids and uh, doing a vacation Bible school. They have these songs going. They're teaching them about the Bible. They have puppet shows. And it is amazing. So we went there on Saturday and hung out, uh, met with their leaders. And one of their leaders said, I was just praying to God that Upper Room Ohio wouldn't forget about us. And now you're here. It's just so sweet. One of the other amazing things that Pastor Armando is doing is he has connected and launched a group of churches to become friends and start doing stuff together. So 30 churches are basically being pastored by him. Um, the pastors are being befriended and pastored by Armando, and they're doing things together. So we started getting into conversations about what it looks like to bring 30 churches together to start to meet the needs of the community. Such that like Living City Project did and what Steve's doing and, and everything that's going on in Dayton, that they had the day of cleanup, the Living City Project had the day of cleanup, 3,300 volunteers. Then when the tornadoes came, they asked them to help because they weren't going to be able to do it without them. So they became this logistical funnel for volunteers and people to help. And FEMA and places like that came into Dayton and said, we've never seen a city recover this fast and see this many churches, this many people working together. 
So Steve got to then share with Armando because they have four to 5,000 immigrants that have flooded to Piedras Negras all the way from Africa and Russia and Honduras, and the city doesn't know what to do with them. They, they're looking at them as problems, even though God sees them as promises. So we start to talk. The city wants to build a refugee camp. And I'm like, Armando, that's not the answer. You and the 29 other churches need to get together, and you need to meet the need of this city, and you'll become influential, and you'll have the favor of the city. So we're starting to talk about that, but one of the things is he invited those churches in. So we had a very large men's gathering Saturday night, and it was so powerful. It was absolutely amazing. I believe there's a season that we're in right now, and that I think is a, is a kingdom thing of repentance. I think we've had moves of worship, we've had moves of supernatural, we've had moves of signs, wonders, and miracles, moves of identity, and, and all of those are very important, but I think sometimes it's good to get back to the basics of what is a life in Christ and what does repentance look like. So the same thing Nicole was speaking on here Sunday, I was speaking on to a group of men, around 100 men on Friday, and even Christy spoke at a church or a ministry gathering a couple weeks ago on repentance, sent me the same scriptures that I already had listed in my notes for Friday. Friday. So anyway, we, we, we do this and I'm talking about to the men about if we want to see revival, let's start in our home. Let's start in our hearts. If we want to see revival in our churches, it starts here and then goes to our home and our marriages. So we begin to just, at the end, I offered an altar call for repentance, repentance for the things we've made it, repentance for us becoming our own idols, worshiping us, the way we've treated our wives and the way, you know, maybe lust or pornography or these things. So we just really went after it. And at the end, almost every single man was just piled in the front, just on their knees weeping. <sighs> to see this was just, so humbling for me that the Lord uses me in such a way to maybe save these marriages, maybe save these men, maybe, maybe lead them to the transformation to a better life now. So I'm just very humbled by that. But to see these grown men just going after it and weeping before the Father, weeping in their hands and just on their hands and knees, it was life-changing for me. Uh, it was so good. But anyway... There's a funny story that came from that. So let me share that, and then we'll get on with the message today. So I'm there, and uh, Josh, I didn't even know he used anointing oil to pray for people. And, you know, it's biblical. We, we do that. Some of the pastors here do. Some don't. Uh, but anyway, he brought this glass vial of anointing oil. I have no idea this is going on. I'm going around praying for people, blessing people, you know. And we get up to the room, and, and Jason, he's only been with us about eight to ten months. And uh, so a lot of this realm, a lot of this style of worship, a lot of this style of Christianity is very new to him. So it was really fun to bring him along and, and just uh, expose him to some of the goodness of God. So we're there, and, and we're, we're getting up there, and, and Josh is telling us, like, oh, man. He's like, right when I go to pray for the first person, he's like, I dropped my vial of oil, and it just shattered and went everywhere, and it there was glass everywhere. He's like, so thankfully, somebody, somebody brought me a towel, and I got to wipe it up. And Jason's like, what? I saw that man weeping, and I thought this was like, like the river of tears. And like, I was like, man, God can do this? This is amazing. He's like, then I see you like taking this towel, and it's so empathetic, and you're wiping these tears of this man. He's like, I was on that video footage for like two minutes, and I was like, this is the glory shot. This is the shot of the weekend. 
And he's sharing this, and Josh is like, no, man, that was just the oil. I was just wiping it up. He's like, oh, man. So it became this really funny moment for us that Jason thought he captured this intimate moment with God and this man weeping and Josh wiping up the tears. And no, nah, he just dropped a glass vial of oil. So just super funny. But that's the thing with missions trips. You, you get a lot of powerful, um, touching stories, and then you just have a lot of fun. And uh, so we did a lot of video interviews and just different things. So we'll be advertising some trips coming up here. One will be next summer, and all families, kids, and everything will be welcome on that. But I'm like, man, what, how, what do I preach on? First off, I got all mixed up. Um, it's not really like me. Usually we have a schedule of like preaching three months out, and I uh, just didn't have that. So I thought I had a friend coming to speak this weekend. So we get to like Tuesday or Wednesday, and I was like, I get a hold of him. He's like, no, man, I'm not coming until the weekend of the 21st. I was like, oh, and now all the hotels are booked because of the marathon. And I'm like, oh, geez. So anyway, I'm like, well, how do I follow up? I listened to Nicole's message on the airplane coming home Monday. And I was like, you had my message on shame, the church on the lawn, Matt's intense motivational message of like, let's go kick down walls and take the enemy by the throat and kick him in the head kind of deal. And then last week, Nicole with repentance, I'm like, what now? How do I follow that up with? So Lord just said worship. So I just feel like, like as we go through this process and shame's removed and we've repented, now how do we live this life in Christ? And I'll be honest, like I believe it's just the key is a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of presenting ourselves a living sacrifice to the Lord in the way that we love, in the way that we, you know, love, love is actually an action. It's, it's, it's kind of neat that when we go on missions trips, and don't wait for Mexico to do your missions. Don't wait for Mexico because you get to, the people around you, the people at your workplace, you get to be the hands, the feet, the voice, the love, the hug of Jesus. Sometimes the people around you, they just need a smile. They just need a thank you. They just need a hug. And we get to do that every day. So, so love is not just this thing that we receive love. Love is something we actually do. Like Paul, he defines love in 1 Corinthians 13, and he's, he's saying this definition of love, but that's actually, in my opinion, a challenge in the way that we should love. So like if I'm just sitting in my marriage waiting for Nicole to love me and it's all about me, that's not love. Love actually does something. Love does. And it's this thing. So, so in worship, in our life with Christ, love does. Love is not just this thing about God, God meeting my needs and me praying. Like a relationship is always reciprocated. A relationship's always two ways, and, and it's this thing to where I get to love people. I get to love my wife. I get to love my children. You know, it's about once or twice a year, we are just so exhausted, and we, we do this thing. Like, the kids, they don't, haven't caught on yet. Like, hey, girls, tonight you get to tuck us in. And they're like, oh, we do? Tonight we can tuck you in? Yeah, tonight you tuck us in. We're going to bed. You tuck us in, and then, then get to bed yourself. <laughs> Because with four little girls, like bedtime, by the time we do a vo devotional, a prayer, talk about their day the next day, it's like a 40-minute process. So every once in a while, we're just like, all right, it's time for you to tuck us in. But anyway, love does. It's this reciprocal thing. It's this thing where we get this opportunity to, to love. And, and I just, a couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity to do transition. And the Lord brought me to this verse in Psalms 34. And we're just going to start there, and I want to talk about a few things that I mentioned there about what it is to seek the Lord, to, what it is to be in fear of the Lord. And I believe that's the birthplace of where worship starts, is our fear, our awe of God. So for, uh, Psalms 34, 4 through 10 says this, 
Now, let me preface this with the story behind it if you weren't here a couple weeks ago. This is when David was in the cave moment. This is David in his, in his highest time of need. This is David in crisis, not only is Saul looking to murder him and his entire family, and he's on the hunt for him, but he had just left Abimelech, and there's a season where David, you know, he's praying that his joy of his salvation will be restored. All these things are happening, right? And he's in this cave season. How many of us, have you had a cave season where everything, it sounds like the bowlings are in a cave season. Everything just can't go right. On top of all of that, they had to take their daughter to the hospital this week for an unknown uh, syncopal passing out episode. And you talk about scary for a few hours when you don't know what caused that. There's these seasons we go through that are so hard. And some of us, it looks different. And when you have children, that's a cave moment. When you have children and you don't know what's wrong and something's severely wrong or, 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 or these things, and some of us it might be a death or some of us it might be loss of a job or a relationship issue or these things. Well, I know that all of us in here have a story and we've all had those cave moments. But here's what David decides to do in his cave moment. He says, I sought the Lord. First off, that's, that's the first step. That's plan A. If we can get to a place with maturity in Christ and we get to a place of intimacy with Christ, no matter the crisis going on, no matter the issue or the trial going on, if we can get to that place where the first thing I do is I sought the Lord. Not the first thing I did was develop a plan or make a resume or the first thing I did was, was this or the first thing I did was call somebody else to try to help me through my mess. The first thing David did says, I sought the Lord. And it says, and he answered me and he delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. And it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. It says this in verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Nicole, in this transition in the worship feeling today, the, the invitation from the Lord and from heaven, I believe, was presence encounters. I believe it was time to where as we're seeking the Lord, we're offering up these incense of worship that all of a sudden all of our problems go away. That's the most amazing thing about in his presence, trials go away. In his presence, tomorrow's business goes away. In his presence, the financial concerns go away because there's this realm of peace and this realm of faith, this realm of joy, this, this realm of heaven that just exists to where nothing else matters. It goes on to say, it says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Listen, we taste and see that he's good. Once we're in worship, we're in his presence, we taste and see that he's good. And it says, oh, fear the Lord. You, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Verse 10 says, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, that is the key to working through our issues. James puts it like this. He says in James 1, 2, he says, count it all joy the trials you go through. And then he goes on to say why. Because it builds your strength. It builds your character. builds your perseverance. It builds the things that when, when you're digging these wells. And let me just tell you this. When you choose joy through a trial, when you choose worship through a trial, when you choose praise through a trial, you've already won. The enemy can't come against that. Those choices are wins and they're victories in the kingdom because the enemy can't win when you're in his presence because in his presence is peace. In his presence is the fullness of what? Joy. So when we're choosing to seek his presence first, the enemy can't come in and invade that. So it says that there's no lack. Shame's gone. We taste and see that he's good. So listen, there's this thing that's reciprocated in a relationship. I believe this. There's these moments where God says, be still and know I'm God. There's these moments where God says he won't leave us as an orphan. He'll come to us. 
He won't leave us. He won't leave or forsake us. You know, and, and there's all these different references. But then there's these, these references in the Bible that says, seek and you'll find him. Knock, the door will be open, right? There's these things here that says, I sought the Lord. There's something and it's in a positional thing like Adam was saying. It's not the thing to where if I do this, I get this. If I strive or if I earn or if I do enough fasting or prayer, if I read enough word or memorize enough scripture, then he'll love me more. No, those things are what cultivates the relationship that's reciprocated. So in my love for him, in my knowing him, in my experience with him, now I get to seek him and spend time with him. It's this thing to where it's not seeking to get something, it's a seeking to be with. I sought the Lord. I spent time with the Lord. I put the Lord first. I had intimacy with the Lord. I had emotional and heart connection with the Lord. Listen, I don't want to walk around because then it's so closely connected to the fear of God. I grew up in a, in, a, in a religion that would oftentimes scare the hell out of us rather than love the hell out of us. It was a system to where oftentimes it's, it's scaring the sin and scaring those things out of fear of hell and fear of punishment rather than encountering the love of a father. See, in seeking an intimacy and relationship with the Father and this tasting and seeing he's good, now I get to commune with him. I get to be with him. I, I don't want to be in a relationship with Nicole and like, okay, oh, oh, I didn't do the dishes. She's divorcing me. It's over. She's coming home. The pillows aren't straightened. She's gone. That's a fear. But in awe of her, a fear that this is referencing, an awe of God is different. And awe is I've experienced and I've tasted and seen he's good. I admire that and I want more of that. And awe of Nicole would be like, man, Nicole's coming home. I get to do the dishes and love her well. And, and we're going to build connection. And I just want to honor and love her because love does. So this is the difference of, of what seeking could be and what the fear of the Lord is. And let me just tell you, like, the fear of the Lord is this beautiful thing to where now, like, like I heard these people, well, you got to fear God. you got to fear him. You can, he, yeah, I do. I get to fear him because I've seen his power. I've seen him heal people. I've seen him transform people. I've seen people dead raised from the dead. I've seen healings. I've seen tumors dissolved. I've seen drug addicts totally delivered. I, yeah, he, he is so amazing, and I get to be in awe and fear him because He's so powerful. It's not this thing. Listen, there's 951 titles of God in the word. 951. <laughs> and I get to be on this journey for the rest of my life discovering who he really is. The Bible says that we'll never understand the mysteries of God. But isn't it fun trying? 951 natures of God. 951 wills of God of who he is. And I get to discover it all. We as believers, we as children, we as sons and daughters get to be on this journey to learn who Jesus is. And when we begin to get exposed, when we begin to encounter him, when we begin to, to learn about him and his nature and his goodness, now we get to be in awe of him. Awe is literally from the root word awesome. And God is so awesome, we get to be awestruck. God is so good. Isn't that amazing? So it says this in 1 John 4, 19. I believe that the root of our all of God, I believe the root of our love for God is only rooted in his love for us. It says we love because he first what? Loved us. So we can only love to the degree in which we've been loved. We can only experience, um, let, let me just go to this other verse and then we'll elaborate. Matthew 10, 8 says this. It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. And then it says this, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely you give. 
Listen, that all of God comes from an experience, a revelation of, of encountering God. So when we have this awe, this fear of the Lord, so freely we receive, freely we give. The more we receive from God, the more we can give out. Yeah. Let me put it to you this way. I've had a life of darkness until 13 years ago. This week, I celebrate an anniversary with Jesus. So 13 years ago this week, I accepted him, encountered him, met him, tangibly experienced him to where all of a sudden my revelation of who God was changed. And now my worship goes deep because worship's always dependent on our depth of revelation of the Father. Freely we receive, freely we give. I've experienced so much grace, so it allows me to see people the way God sees them because I can give grace because I understand that I've received grace. I can't give away a car I don't have. I can't give away money I don't have. But what I can give is what I do have. And what I have is this revelation of God. I've experienced the love of God. I've experienced the power of God. So it's my life's journey to be able to give that away. I want to become so full and so in awe of God and so saturated in his presence that where I go, it just leaks out because I'm overflowing. Like my cup runneth over, as in I get so full of Jesus, I just get to leak out wherever I go. I go to the gym, I go to work, I go on emergency calls, I meet with people, I go to the store, I go to restaurants. I just get to burst out with these little love nuggets that actually reflect Jesus of who he is to, in me to others. That's a revelation of God. Let me get into some real fun stuff here. The fear of the Lord worships an expression. Let me, let me tell you what worship is. Worship is literally an expression of our heart to who God is. Listen, worship is not dependent on a circumstance. Worship is not dependent on if he does something or doesn't do something. Worship is literally our heart's reflection outwardly to who God is in our life. And the deeper our revelation of him, the deeper our experiences with him, the deeper our encounters with him, the deeper our worship will go with him. So, so let, me, let me just elaborate just, just a little bit here. See, see, worship is not just music on a stage. <laughs> That's a thing that is a symptom of worship. See, painting and flags, and I pan down here with flags, that is a symptom of what's happened on our heart in worship. That's the outward expression of the inward thing that's happened in our heart. Worship is the heart of the affection to God. Worship is our expression. Worship is our adoration. Worship is our, our thoughts, our feelings, our, our care, our love for Jesus. All right? So music and an instrument or a voice or flags or dance. Heather, she leads a dance ministry. They dance in worship for Jesus. Dustin, he says, I worship with my paintbrush. He leads the art ministry. Chloe this morning was painting. And she's worshiping Jesus with a paintbrush. See, worship comes out in all these ways. I, I was a drummer. But... You know, more so now, I just sing. It doesn't mean it has to sound good, folks. How many else just love to sing? But it may not be good. It's okay. He says, bring a joyful noise to him. Not a good one, a joyful one. And let me tell you, sometimes joyful. Doesn't have to sound pretty. It's a joyful noise. I give my heart. So literally, worship is an expression. It's the creative expression of who I see God as. And now I turn my heart. I turn my affection. My focus goes to him. That's worship. It's a heart's reflection. It means distractions disappear. And now I'm just one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, loving him and telling him how I care about him. Loving him and telling him how I think about him, what I know about him. And I'm celebrating that in my heart with the expression of love and worship. That's worship. Let me, worship, oh, these are some great quotes I got after the last service. Worship is the greatest form of revelation. 
Worship is the deepest form of revelation you'll ever get because our worship is literally the reflection of who we know God as. Second one, worship is heaven's revelation and prophecy in one. That's a good one. Because worship is not only saying who God was, who he is, and also who he's going to be. So worship is not dependent on a circumstance. I'm not looking at God as this amazing thing if he does this, or if he heals this, or if he delivers this, or if he provides this. No, he's always good. So my worship is not only a revelation of who he is, it's a prophecy of who he's always going to be. There's an atmosphere in our hearts that we cultivate. There's a, there's a greenhouse, um, if you could picture that. There's a greenhouse in our heart. And what we receive, what we fill that up with is what will come out. And a fruit of worship is heaven. Let me just say that. It's not something you do. It's something who you are. Worship is, is who we are. Worship is, is my heart. And all of a sudden, I get to create a greenhouse. I get to create an atmosphere of worship. Nicole always says this. She's like, trash in, trash out. Coming from the lady, like, sometimes pumps out bone thugs in harmony. We pray when we pray when we pray. Sometimes she'll tell me, like, trash in, trash out. You got to check your heart. Any John Chris fans in here? Check your heart, bro. Know what's going in there. So, because whatever's coming in is, is eventually going to come out. So I want to fill my heart with his love. I want to fill my heart with him. I want to fill my heart with worship. That way worship and goodness comes out. And even when I'm squeezed, guess what? The fruits of the spirit are best tested when we're squeezed. Like when those, when those cave moments come, when those situations come and we're squeezed, boop, there's peace. Boop, there's patience and long suffering and those things that like we really are very careful to pray for. But that's the truth. That's the truth of when you know you're full of Holy Spirit is when you're actually squeezed. Like, it's good to be happy when everything's great. It's good to be full of worship when I don't need anything. But can you press into that when things are going to hell in a handbasket? Like, can you press into that when, when you've lost both your jobs and your kids going to the hospital? Like, what are you going to do? I sought the Lord. It's this, this, this heart. It's this posture. So... Worship is also something that can be cultivated. It's something that can be uh, learned. It's something that can be deepened. It's something that can be trained. All right? Now, now, we can only worship to the depth in our heart of that we experience God, in my opinion. But there's things I can do to, to create an atmosphere. Listen, if you go into a greenhouse, you can make anything grow in that greenhouse. You can make raspberries grow all the way to tropical things because the right climate, the right atmosphere changes things to where anything can grow. Rain doesn't just fall from the sky, folks. Rain doesn't happen. There was a beautiful moment we had here a few months ago, and it was late winter. If you remember, it started sleeting and kind of snowy raining, and we could hear it on the ceiling. And if you were here that day, what happened was I had just got up to speak, and we could hear it was a little distracting, and I just simply said in a joking way, let it rain. There's a song we sing. All of a sudden, the church, you, us, we begin to just, just create this aroma, this incense of worship, and everybody took over that song. We sang it, and the atmosphere changed to where worship was being the focus. Presence was the number one agenda in that moment. The atmosphere changed. I stepped off the stage, and we worshiped for the next hour. If you were here, it was powerful. Rain doesn't just fall from clouds in the sky. Listen, rain is created from an atmosphere change on the earth. That's why we look at the barometric pressure. When the atmosphere is just right on earth and it changes, it goes up and it creates these clouds and then it rains down. 
Listen, we offer incense up to the Lord, then all of a sudden things just happen. Atmospheres change. We begin to offer up that incense of worship and offer ourselves in worship and turn our adoration to him. It just begins to pour down us. Heaven opens up. The Father's pleased. Why? Because he loves being loved. He loves being sought after. He loves being seeked. He loves seeking us. He loves coming after us. He loves knocking down the walls like reckless love tells us in that song. It gets powerful. But the fruit of worship is heaven. Let's go to this, the main scripture for today. That was all introduction. (laughs) But we're to the closing already. (laughs) Romans 12.1 says this. I just felt like you know, what, what, what is the follow-up to Nicole's repentance message? How do we live this thing out? Okay, we've repented, now what? Because repentance isn't just simply saying sorry. If you know the heart and, and, the, and the, the original heart of repentance and the word and what God's heart for repentance is, it's actually to say sorry, to ask forgiveness, turn away from, and then see it differently. That's, that's the definition of repentance. It's you begin to see things different. You, see, you think differently about it. You've turned away from it and said sorry for it. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, Lord. No, like in order to turn away and keep away from it and stay in that, you actually begin to look at it differently. See, that's the cool thing about Holy Spirit. He convicts so that we don't have to. And what may have been good for you years ago may not be good for you now because he's calling you into deeper places or somewhere different. And what's amazing is about repentance is all of a sudden he changes the way I see it. He changes the way I look at it. So what used to be good may not be good. What used to be okay to just worship on Sundays and not worship any more time during the week may not be good now because now you're being enlightened. Something's being awakened that we're tasting and seeing he's good. Now it's not just good for Sunday. I need him Monday. I need him Tuesday. I need him Wednesday. I need him every day. That's the good thing about tasting and seeing he's good. He's this unlimited buffet. Where I know I've not had anything to eat yet today. So it's time to talk about a little food. He's this unlimited buffet that once we taste and see he's good, he puts this craving in us to always want the more, not out of discontentment, but out of meeting our need before we even realize we have it because he's that good. That's heaven. Heaven, you have the need met before you ever have the need. You already have your thirst quenched before you're ever thirsty. That's heaven. That's presence. He's he's meeting the need before we have it. 12.1 Romans says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I beg you, I, I am, am, am coming to you so strongly. It says, with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, present yourself a holy, living, a living sacrifice. We'll get back to that. Verse 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Isn't this an amazing thought, an amazing concept that presents yourself a living sacrifice. Now, he had to say this to the Romans church because up to this point, they only had the Old Testament, the old ways, the Jewish ways in which to do it. Now, here's the thing. We would have thought, well, he's because in the Old Testament, they would offer these burnt sacrifices, these dead animals, but they always brought them to them alive. They would bring the animal alive, and then they would usually take the insides out, 
make an, uh, an altar in the carcass. They would build a fire in the carcass of the animal and offer that up as a, as a burnt offering, a sacrifice to the Lord in worship. Now here's what Paul is saying now. He's saying, now present yourselves. He no longer wants animals. He no longer needs that put on the altar. He needs you. But he makes note that it's a living sacrifice because and it, something still had to die. See, so he makes note to say, bring me your life that you've already died to yourself. Now bring me life because I want life because I'm the God of life. Jesus, see what he's saying is Jesus has changed the system of worship here. We no longer have to go to a high priest or we no longer have to go to somebody on behalf. We get to present ourselves directly to Jesus in worship. And he's looking for us to die to ourselves so that we may live in him. He's a God of life. Present yourself a living sacrifice. Now, now here's, here's the cool thing about sacrifice in that. And, and I want to define worship in, in the Greek there. It literally means, this word worship, it says, this is truly the way to worship, comes from this definition, supreme form of religious service. The highest form of your service to anybody, anything, or anyone now, now, listen, some of us spend a lifetime pursuing a career. Some of us spend 60 hours a week pursuing a career. Some of us spend a lifetime to leave our kids a legacy or an inheritance of money. But he's saying this is the supreme form. This is the highest form of sacrifice or service that you can do on earth is worship me. And here's what he says in sacrifice. It's actually four realms in which we sacrifice ourselves to him. It's four realms. And the first one is physical. The second one is emotional. Then we also have the rational and spiritual. From the Greek word, it's translated from those four realms. Emotional, rational, physical, and spiritual. He's saying, present all of yourself to me. Present your whole being to me as a living sacrifice. Then I love where it says here, it says, and it says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Amen. I got to hydrate for this last one. The band can come. Listen, he doesn't want our dead things. He wants life. The enemy came. John 10, 10 says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to what? Give life. And life what? More abundantly. More abundant life. Listen, he's not looking for our old things. He's not looking for our, our dead things. He's looking for our lives. He's looking for us to live for him, to be alive with him, to be alive in him, through him, around him. Like, like I and you and you and me. That's, that's the Jesus' prayer even uh, to the Father and John. It's this beautiful thing to where like, he doesn't want our old things. He says, bring me a new song. That's what worship is. It's bringing him a new song every day because I want to see a new reflection of who he is. Amen. Revelations 4 says this. The angels and everybody's there, the four living creatures. It's this beautiful picture of what heaven is. And I love Revelations 4. Revelation was never meant to be a book of the Bible that scares you and gives you fear for the rapture so that you turn your heart to Jesus. Listen, Revelation was actually set up as a love book, as an insightful uh, vision, open vision to John the Beloved to see a glimpse and be able to see what heaven was like. It was a love book. This was a, a gift to John from Jesus to give him what heaven looks like. It was never meant to be used for fear and, and to, to, to just scare people into to Christianity. 
We often use it for that. But here's Revelation 4, and it's talking about the four living creatures, and, and it's saying this, all the angels, and Jesus is there, and it describes Jesus. All these colors they can't even put words to, right? He's just so powerful and so amazing, and he's always there. And they sing over and over and over and over, forever and eternity, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. And here's what I think. Every glimpse, every nanosecond is a new glimpse of who God is because they're seeing all of what God is. Listen, that's what it means to think differently. Our worship will bring us in such a place that we think differently and we actually only see what God is and what he's doing and not get to focus on what he's not doing or hasn't done. Worship takes us in this place to where we literally get to see God and show affection out of our heart and only see who God is and not see what he isn't or what he hasn't done, or the prayer he hasn't answered, or the healing he hasn't healed. That's the angels, that's the living creatures, that's the cherubim and all that. In Revelations 4, they're just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And every time they sing holy, I think it's this new glimpse of who God is. Holy, holy, holy. Every time they're saying that, it's this new picture of Jesus. It's this new nature of Jesus. It's this new, new facet of who he really is. So they sing it over and over and over. And guess what? They never get bored. They never get sick of singing, this, singing the same song. They never figure out what time it is and what time church is going to get out so we can go get in that buffet line. <laughs> they're there in his presence and they're captivated because he's so awesome. And they're in awe of him. And here's what worship gets to do. Worship gets, gives us, it forges us the opportunity to join heaven's angels and the four living creatures and the cherubim and all these, to join him and join the same song of who he is. I know everybody's sacrifice is a little different. And when I started in church and what worship looks like in a corporate world, that, that is such a blessing in, in corporate worship. We, we often say like, who are we? What, what are we doing? What, what, what is that upper room that people can't get on the internet? And one of those things, one of the gifts that God has given us is corporate worship. Now, I love Bethel music and Jesus culture and elevation worship and Upper Room Dallas and all these. I, I like Spotify is my jam during the week in my office or in my car. And like, I'm on it. I'm worshiping. I'm just loving Jesus. I start my day off that way. One of the things Nicole and I love to do is play worship music through our bedroom at night. Because Jesus said, God said in Genesis that he created night and day. So our day actually starts at night. So if we saturate ourselves in worship or the word that's reading through the night or something, our day actually starts better because it actually starts through the night as we cultivate that atmosphere of worship. So, but one of the beautiful things is coming into church and coming into a body, coming into a community, a family of believers is we get to join powerfully in unity with each other in the same thing, just glorifying Jesus. I have powerful moments by myself, but there's something when we're singing something together here and we all join in and we, it's just amazing. It's powerful. And the, the opportunity that heaven invites us into is to join heaven, join the angels and come in agreement of how good God is. Why don't you stand with me? When I was uh, in church as a kid or like when I was 
you know, before my radical encounter, I'd come into church and be like, I ain't, I ain't lifting my hands off this pew. It's like white knuckled on the pew. I ain't lifting my hands. And then pretty soon, like, he'd tug at my heart a little bit. And then eventually I was like, like, like the, the close-in man clap, you know, watching me. And then pretty soon it was like, And it was, you know, well, here's what I think about worship. Sometimes there's these things of surrender. When a police officer needs you to, to be obedient and, and listen, and they're pointing a gun at you, your posture is this. It's a posture of surrender. There's a couple things that I love about this posture because the Bible references lifted hands. And oftentimes we sing songs about lifted hands, and then we're all like, lift a hand, doing what they tell me to do, do what I want to do. God will put it in my heart. This posture of lifted hands is not only surrender, but I love James Collins said it creates a funnel. Creates a funnel for heaven to come, for presence to come. It's this funnel. But here's the other thing. I believe it's this posture of a hug for the Father. I believe it joins his posture that was on the cross with wide open arms, ready to embrace us, ready to hug us, and ready to love us right back. That's my posture. In worship, I love to be able to lift my hands. I surrender to you, Jesus. You're so good. Woo! Just do that with me. Lift your hands. We just surrender to you, God. 